It's good to see you today. I love that uh, song. I just felt, uh, I just kind of imagine what heaven's going to be like as we're worshiping God and just celebrating the freedom that we have in God. And so I sometimes I sit in the back there, I kind of forget where we are in the service and just and just, just to love to worship on God. Well, it's great to see you today. As always, if you have your bulletin, we'll encourage you to get out your sermon notes. There'll just be a few blanks to fill in today. And we're just going to kind of follow up. Last week I gave a test, a Captain Obvious test. And I'm glad to report that in all three services we had no one fail. All right, everybody made it. And, you know, sometimes in life there are things that are just obvious, all right? And literally a lot of things in the Bible are that obvious. And so if you remember last week, we talked about if you were at the zoo and saw the monkey house, you would expect to find monkeys. Very good. If you went and saw the snake house, you would expect to find snakes. If you saw the elephant house, you'd expect to find elephants. You guys are amazing. You still got it after last week, all right? And so Jesus in Matthew chapter 21, he said, my house, the place where I live, more than anything else, I want it to be called a house of prayer. Now, obviously, there'll be other things inside of the, of the, of the synagogue, the temple, the church, but one of the primary things should be prayer. It should be part of our culture to be a people of prayer. And as we talked about last week, there's not only application for the church, but certainly for the individual as well, because according to 1 Corinthians 6.19, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and so he lives inside of us. And so again, when Jesus said, I want my house, the place where I live, to be called a house of prayer, I believe there's individual application for each of us that our life should be a place, and a per, we should be a people of prayer, all right? So last week as we looked at kind of the process there, and it was a real simple process, he first of all cleaned out of the temple what should not have been there. Then he established it for what it was meant to be all along, and that was a place of prayer. And then it became a house of power. Then the lame and the blind came and he healed them. And then it became a house of praise. The little children began to worship and to praise. And again, really worship is spontaneous. When really we get in touch with God, I think everything is spontaneous. That's one of the things I learned in studying Revelation. It's amazing when you think about Revelation and the worship in heaven, it seems like no matter which group is praising God, it's like the other group say, I, I, I can't help it. And they all join it. I mean, everyone just seems like it's just such a spontaneous worship in heaven. I think it's going to do, I don't know if we get goosebumps in heaven, I'm not sure, but I have a hunch we'll have goosebumps on top of goosebumps when we're able to just worship in a transparent way before God. Well, this morning I want to just kind of follow up as we're talking about being a people of prayer, individuals of prayer. There's a little story Jesus gave in Luke chapter 18, and if you have your Bible, you, I encourage you to turn there. It's always good to parallel the passage. We're going to have the scripture up on the screen, but it's good to look and see what your translation says and just kind of read it and listen to it at the same time. And so he's going to give a parable of the Pharisee and the publican. There could not be two people with more opposite in the minds of the Jewish people because the Pharisees were the ultimate performers. I mean, they were literally unbelievable in their devotion to God. 
And I think I've said, I've heard that when a Pharisee, if you were born in the house of a Pharisee, a young, a young boy would begin to, to memorize the first five books of the Bible. And by the time they were 12 years old, they could intellectually answer questions about the first five books of the Bible. So they had all that memorized by the time they were 12. And they would always start with the book of Leviticus. How many of you remember memorizing Leviticus? I, it's not even on my bucket list, all right? I'm, I'm being honest, I'm not even thinking about memorizing Leviticus. But they were so devoted, not only to the Lord, they were devoted to prayer. I mean, the Pharisees, no matter where they were, at the hour of prayer, they would stand up and they would pray. And even today, if you go to Israel, if there's Jews on the plane, which there always are, Orthodox Jews, no matter where they are at the time of prayer, they will stand up. They have a prayer shawl, and they will put the prayer shawl over their face, and that's how they get into their quiet place or their private place. And they will pray no matter where they are in the plane. Some of them will go to a certain part of the plane, but they will pray, and not unashamedly, they will stand and pray at the hour of prayer. Now, i got to confess, I don't bow my head and close my eyes, but I do watch when they're praying. Because, I mean, I look at that devotion, I think how incredible that is that they're that devoted to prayer. And when you go to the Western Wall there and you've seen pictures or, or videos, I mean, the Jewish... The Orthodox Jews will be rocking back and forth, back and forth. I mean, sweating. They'll just be giving it everything they have. And I remember asking the guy, I think the first year we were there, why do they rock back and forth? Why don't they just pray or, or just kneel or sit? Why do they rock back and forth? He says they are literally putting everything they have, their whole being, into that prayer. I mean, as I watch them, and I just sit and watch them, and I think about the devotion they have for prayer, that they are literally giving every ounce of their energy in praying to God. The Pharisees would fast twice a week. Twice a week. Two days a week they would fast. How many of you remember when you were backslidden and only fasted twice a week? I mean, to me, I'm thinking fasting twice a week. They gave tithes of all they possessed. They were immersed in Scripture. They seemed to be so devoted to God. It's amazing that you could be that devoted, perform at that high of a level, and not have a relationship with God. That's scary. That really is scary. So let's look at this simple parable of the Pharisee and the publican. And let's take a look. So in Luke chapter 18, I'm going to ask you guys to, to read it with me. So let's read from Luke chapter 18. Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, first of all, can I give them credit? They were going to the temple for the right reason. They were going to pray. And Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And so I give them both credit. They were going to the temple for the right reason. They were going up to pray. But there could not have been a more opposite response from God on these two people going to the temple to pray. All right? So let's look at the passage. First of all, there's the Pharisee. They love to be in the spotlight. They love to be seen by men. They love to just kind of boast about how faithful they were to God. They love to be in the spotlight, in the center of attention. That's probably not most people, but they love to be seen by men, all right? And so the Pharisee's prayer, if I count it correctly, was 33 words. 
He prayed 33 words. The publican only prays seven words. How many of you have ever had somebody in your life that when you were growing up could really flat pray and you were envious of? Now, I, I, I was not a natural prayer. Even though I grew up in church, my dad was a deacon. I was at church every time the doors were open. I mean, I was there all the time. I struggled praying out loud. I never wanted to pray out loud in a Sunday school class. I just was intimidated by prayer. And part of it was, as I've shared my story, we had a girl in one of my Sunday school departments. I mean, that gal could flat pray. I mean, she even prayed in King James. I mean, she used the tither, the withers. She'd pray for all the missionaries. She would cover everything. And I just felt so inadequate when I heard her pray. Because I just, I just did not have a very smooth way to pray. And prayers can be very, very intimidating. And so here the Pharisee stood and prayed. And let's just kind of look at his prayer. And I want to kind of think about the Pharisee today and what we can learn uh, from, from his prayer. So he prays, would you join me? God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. I mean, this guy was a performer. And if we're being honest, probably a Pharisee could walk into the average church today and be the chairman of any committee, could probably be on staff. I mean, their dedication to God, their dedication to prayer and to the Word is almost unmatched. I mean, it's unbelievable how dedicated they are. And so even in Israel, even to this day, the Orthodox Jews, I remember a couple of trips ago, we went by and they let us kind of look in to where some Orthodox Jews were studying the scriptures. For 12 hours a day, they sit and they study the word. 12 hours a day, they're in there memorizing, meditating, and, and just learning about the book. Unbelievable, their dedication. And so 33 words, he had a pretty good prayer. I probably would have sat there and thought, wow. And then there's the publican, the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Seven words. Here's one guy totally broken, standing off in the back. The other guy standing up in front in the spotlight, if you will, and just seemed to have everything together. And yet when Jesus makes application, he says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So I want to, I want to look at five lessons that we can learn from the Pharisee. First of all, pride refuses to admit it has a need. You know, never once in this guy's prayer did he ever admit to God that he had a need in his life. You know, sometimes pride helps us to become self-sufficient, and sometimes we feel like we don't need really God to work in our life. And so if you think about your life, and as I think about my life, probably more than anything else, I struggled with pride more than anything. And again, pride is that self-sufficiency that never admits that it has a need. I wonder today, when you came to church, and I don't want you to respond, but I wonder how many of us would honestly say we came in today because we knew that we needed a touch from God. You know, sometimes people say, boy, I wish so-and-so would have been here. They needed that. 
But I just want to tell you more than anything, can I tell you more than anyone here today, every day I need a fresh touch from God. There's not one day that we can make it in our own strength. Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. And yet Paul said, I can do all things through Christ. But pride is that self-sufficiency. It's that performance-based. It's that thing that says, if I can just perform enough, God will love me. And I want to tell you, man, that's a really a big trap. Matter of fact, his harshest words were to the religious people. Isn't that crazy? His harshest words weren't to the prostitute and the drunkard. His harshest words to the religious people, the performers, who were going through all the motions, and yet they had no brokenness before God. So first of all, pride refuses to admit it has a need. Number two, pride always sees the faults in others. I love how the guy says, the, the Pharisee said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Isn't it amazing how we compare ourselves with each other? And sometimes I hear pastors getting up. I want to tell you, it really, I'm just telling me a personal struggle that I have. Whenever I hear a pastor get up and they start uh, knocking other, other denominations, Christian denominations, that really bothers me. I feel like that we need to focus on where we are and not on other people. And so I just want to say, I hope that you, if you ever hear me ever belittle another Christian denomination or a Christian uh, organization, I hope that you will come to me and call me out. Because I believe the Bible teaches we're to examine our own self. And if I pick on anybody, it's the Baptist because that's what I am. All right, And so I'm, I'm going to make fun of pastors and Baptists because that's what I am, but I only do it in a loving way. And I say, whenever we get straightened out, I will work on the Methodists, all right? <laughs> but I got a hunch that we're going to be a work in progress. And so I just want to tell you that bothers me when I ever hear a minister get up and, and start bashing another church or denomination. I don't think that, that we should do that. And so here he had that spirit of pride that, oh, I'm thinking that I'm not like other people. And again, if we're being honest, it's really true that the flaws stand out. It's easy to see in others what we cannot see in ourselves. You know, I've shared that even growing up. You know, physically and spiritually, we can see the flaws in each other's life. How many of you know children see that? You know, I've shared my story, my testimony. I started with Children's Church when I was uh, full-time at Berkeley. I started doing youth and children. I think every pastor ought to do children's ministry for at least two years. And here's what I believe. If you, can, if you can work with kids, if you can keep kids awake, you have a chance with adults. I love children. I mean, children will raise their hand. I mean, one, one brother was sharing with kids. A little child raised his hand. True story. And, and so he was trying to pour out his heart. This little child raised their hand. He says, yeah, you have a question? He goes, we're bored. We get it. you ever want to say that to the preacher? We're, land the plane. I love how one, one godly woman would yell out, Jesus, help him land the plane. Help him find the airport. Kids will tell you that. Adults, you, you adults, and you are so godly. You just keep looking and smiling and nodding. Even though you're thinking about lunch, you're nodding. Yeah, yeah. But kids are so transparent. 
kids can see those, those flaws in our life. I've shared uh, when I was doing children's church, a little girl by the name of Rochelle. Still remember her name. I don't know why. But I, I, back then, I had my Billy Graham suit on. I mean, I looked good. I looked really good. I had my 40-pound uh, King James Bible. And so, man, I was preaching to those kids in children's church, and a little girl raised her hand. And so I knew that I had stimulated some spiritual thought. And so she said, Right in the middle, I, I stopped. And how many of you know it's probably better not to stop? It's not, but I didn't know better. I didn't know, so I stopped. I said, yeah, do you have a question? She said, yeah. She said, I know why girls don't like you. <laughs> there I am, preaching Jesus, got my Bible, my, my Billy Graham suit, and she says, I know why girls don't like you. Now, I could have left it. I could have left it. But I was single. And I didn't, know, I didn't know if she had surveyed, you know, the, the ladies. I didn't know if she had surveyed the ladies. How many of you guys would like to know when you were single why the girls didn't like? I mean, I was curious. And so I asked her, why don't girls like me? She goes, you got bumps all over your face. And, of course, I just jumped. I said, oh, girls, they love to count those. They love to count those. Now... Now, now I got a lot of scars from the acne, and I tell people I've done so many weddings, I walk out too quick, and I get hit with the rice. That's why I've got the problem. <laughs> but you know, she could have noticed everything about me. I have my nice Billy Graham suit. I have my big Bible. But isn't it funny how the flaws in our life stand out? Now, some of you, you stand in front of the mirror, you comb your hair a certain way, put on body putty. We do what we can but even though we, we try to cover them up, those flaws stand out. And I want to tell you, it's, we're all flawed. And the natural, just being real, the human nature is we see the flaws in others. That's true physically and spiritually as well. There's not a person sitting here that doesn't have something that they're working on in their life. And even though we try to cover it up, even though we get out our Sunday look, how many of you get out of your car in the parking lot, put on the Sunday look? And by the way, a lot of people that ask you how they're doing, they don't really want to know that much. I think we care, but, but sometimes it becomes such a natural thing we don't even think about what we're saying. But I just want to tell you God does care. God cares about what's going on in all of your lives. And it's possible, it's possible to be so busy doing church that we can find ourselves mechanical going through the motions and not being real with God. That's pride. And so pride always sees in others what it cannot see in itself. I remember when I was a young pastor, I heard a lady say something about me. She didn't know I was there. And she said something about me, and my BB went up to 10. My veins probably stuck, stuck out. And I was going to go, and I was going to straighten her out. In Jesus' name, of course. And God said to me, you know, she's, she's true. It's true what she's saying. You do have a problem with that. How many of you hate that when the Holy Spirit puts his finger on your life and says, you're the one? Then God said, I want you to go to that lady and I want you to say that you overheard, admit that she was right, and ask her to pray for you.
I wanted another revelation. <laughs> Can I tell you the hardest thing in the world is to eat crow and go to somebody and make it right. It's one of the toughest things. But I've heard someone say that the best way to eat crow is while it's warm. If you let it get cold, it's harder to swallow. So I, I remember going to the lady, and I, I mean, I, I had to really, it was hard to go to her. And I said, you know, I, I got to admit, I overheard what you said. I said, it really bothered me. And then God told me that you were, you were right. I'm, I, it's an area I need to work on. And would you pray for me? And she said, yeah, I'll pray for you. And I said, right now. And I knelt, I knelt down right in front of her. And I remember her when she was struggling praying. And so I said, I want you to pray that I'll do better in that area. I would probably say now, I'd probably add something, being a little bit older and more bold. I'd probably say, would you pray that I would be more like you? Because <laughs> that's what she was saying, wasn't it? I mean, that... And so anyway, I knelt down and she began to pray for me. God is my witness. She began to cry. And never once did she mention my name, but she began to pray for herself. You know, the truth is, we all need God. But I'm just telling you, human nature is, it's so easy to judge people. Because we don't really know what's going on in their life. But God does. And even though God knows what's going on, he still loves you. That's the amazing thing. He knew you were a mess when you got saved. He knew he was in it for the long haul. But part of the body of Christ is we need to be able to love each other. We need to be able to go to each other. And we need to, to eat some crow. And we need to make some things right in the body of Christ. So pride always sees the faults in others. Pride's more concerned with what man thinks than with what God thinks. Pride is that thing that we want to, we want to everybody wants to look like we're spiritual, don't we? I mean, none of us want to look like we're, we're broken. I remember a young pastor at, at Fairview, I was not there probably back in the late 80s, hadn't been there very long. There was a guy who visited our church, and we didn't always get a lot of visitors, and so he, he kind of stood out. And so right, I was probably about 10 minutes into the message, he raised his hand. Now, again, this was a guy, he, he didn't have any church background, first time there, he raised his hand. And so I wasn't sure. So I stopped. I thought maybe he's going to ask if I can go to the bathroom. I didn't know if, how, if he knew how things were. So he raised his hand. And so I stopped and I said, do you have a question? I remember him standing up and he was just kind of nervous and he stood up he'd never been to church he stood up and said I'd like to get saved I said it's not time right now <laughs> I didn't say that I didn't say that when he said that I thought to myself here's the guy who's never been to church he doesn't know there's an invitation but the minute the music had ministered to him God was all over him I hadn't even really got into the meat of my message. And he stood up and said, I'd like to get saved. We just shut down the message. We had an invitation. The brother came down, gave his heart to Jesus. I'm so thankful that he wasn't worried about what people thought. He was worried about what God thought. 
Again, I think when we get in the presence of God, there's going to be some spontaneous things happen that we don't plan. I don't think you can plan God. Even though we plan a service, and when everything started going wrong with David up here and the sound, I, I was kind of smiling back there because it was him and not me. That was one. But, you know, God has a way. God has a way of sometimes allowing stuff to go a little crazy just to make sure it's not about us, but it's about him. But pride cares more about what people think. And again, that's natural. I, I just want to say that's natural to, to think that. Because we all, we, you know, none of us want everybody to know who we really are. But God knows who we are and he loves us. Number, oh, I got a verse here before number four. Uh, in Matthew chapter six, you know, again, the Pharisees love to look good to people. And here in Matthew six, when Jesus is talking about prayer on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. Isn't it, isn't it weird that he would call these religious people that are devoted their life to, to religion hypocrites? For they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. As surely I say to you, they have their reward. I honestly believe, I'm just giving you my opinion, all right? I believe when we get to heaven, there's not going to be many preachers at the front of many lines. I think we're going to see some people who are in the shadows of ministry, broken before God, just pouring out their heart to God that will be first. I really do. I believe the greatness of our church has very little with what goes on on Sunday morning. But it's the men and women who are in their prayer closet, in their secret place with God, and just pouring out their heart to God. That's the greatness of this church. It really is. Number four, pride always leads to destruction. Pride will always lead to destruction. It says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humble. Now, I've heard people pray before, God, keep us humble. Why would you pray that? And so as I'm preparing the message and thinking about, you know, being humble before God and everything, and, and yesterday was kind of, a, we had really a busy week this week. We've had five funerals with people connected to our church. Yesterday I had the privilege of doing a, a funeral, and then right after that I got to go down the hill and, and rough two hours of basketball. If you haven't got a chance, if you've, playing, roughing that basketball with those kids, they are awesome. Now, the, the adults in the stands are a problem sometimes, but the kids, they just love, I mean, they just, they'll pant, pull on your pant leg. One little kid yesterday, I don't know how many times he would come up and just give me a hug. <laughs> this is a basketball. Let's get with it. I mean, I just stopped and I hugged. I don't even know what happened at the goal. We were just hugging out there. I do kindergarten. The last hour is kindergarten. It's from two to three. Kindergarten is basketball in slow motion. <laughs> you just walk. You just kind of walk, stroll down and talk. Walk. Then you walk back, hang out, high five. Just, I love the kindergartners. 
But I was, the hour before I did first and second grade, first, second grade, they were a little more up-tempo, a little more speed. And so, you know, we're, we're roughing, and I always like to, you know, when a kid makes a basket, woo, you know, try to high-five them, man, give everybody high-fives. Try I try to be a Barnabas out there to those kids. And so one day, one kid made a basket, man, woo, let's all get back, let's all get back. And so I'm high-fiving, you know, everybody's giving me a five. And one of the kids behind me stopped. I don't know if he was tying his shoe. I didn't see him. I felt him. As I was backing up, high-fiving, all of a sudden, how many of you know that when you're about ready to fall? <laughs> and when you're 63, it, I knew I was falling. My, my oh, two things, you don't have much time to think. My first thought was, don't let me land on this kid. I don't know who he is. Don't let me land on him. The second was, God, let me fall gracefully. <laughs> there is no way to fall gracefully. And so I'm trying to, I mean, I was just, poof. next thing I know, I am on the floor of the gym looking up to heaven. And I was trying to make it look like I was down there for a reason. And then my thought was, I hope, I hope, I hope everybody wasn't looking. They were. They were. There was two games going on. I could hear people laughing all the way around the gym. I just want to stand before you and say, God can humble you. God can lay you on your, on your face or on your back. Trust me. I feel like when I was falling, I mean, one of my first thoughts as I looked up to heaven, this is how weird I am, I, I almost felt like God was smiling. <laughs> I felt like the Father said to the Son, you think we ought to keep him from, from falling? And Jesus looked up, oh, let's let him go down. <laughs> How many of you were there yesterday and saw me fall? <laughs> but my only concern really was for the little, little boy. I, mean, I hugged on him and loved on him. And I think my foot, as I was on my way back, I was trying to miss him. I think one of my feet kind of landed on him somewhere. But we, so we hugged quite a bit there, and I just loved on him. I said, you know, it was 100% my fault, just loved on him. But you know, I just want to say that in life, pride is so destructive. For us to hold on to pride is so foolish because, you know, it always leads to destruction. I think it's a verse in Proverbs 16 where it says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I will guarantee you if you choose to hold on to pride, God will humble you. It's a whole lot easier just to, to humble yourself. And again, in order to do that, we have to be transparent and be real and to say, you know what, none of us have it all together. Can I tell you, pride, I think, is the most destructive thing in a marriage. It's the most destructive thing in a church. I think pride destroys more relationships than maybe any other single thing. And so when Jesus gave this simple story, again, reminding us about how destructive pride can be. And finally, the last thing is pride is always a personal choice. How many of you have ever wanted to humble somebody I, mean, I think about old Peter and John who wanted to call fire down on the city of Samaria. 
And sometimes we say, God, would you humble my wife? Would you humble my husband? But really the truth is, Jesus said, whoever humbles themselves. You know, the message is for you. The story Jesus gave is for each of us to make personal application. One of my biggest battles, one of the most honorary people I've ever had the chance to be in church with is is me. And when God puts some heavenly sandpaper in my life, and that's what Manly Beasley called his wife, by the way, Uh, he was an evangelist, He, he said, he used to When I heard his testimony, he would say to God, God, if my wife was more spiritual, we could do so much more in ministry if it wasn't for my wife. God smiled and said, your wife is not your problem. Your wife is your heavenly sandpaper, and she's just kind of rubbing you the wrong way to bring out something that's in your heart that is the problem. I just want to say, Pride is so destructive. And we just need again to realize, I want to walk out of here today and be right with God. I want to take a minute. I just want us to pray. I think I've done enough. I think God's saying that's it. I could give you some other stories. I could probably give you stories all day long about me. I just want to take a minute and just pray for, I know there's probably many people here today and maybe, you know, you don't want anybody to know it. I remember, I want to share this story that I didn't share in this, in this service. I was at a pastor's meeting one time many years ago and, and we were in this, it was a statewide pastor's meeting and phones were going off everywhere. I don't know if I've ever said that, shared that story, but I don't know who was up speaking. But can I just be honest, if there's any group that should not have their cell phone on, it should be pastors. Cell phones were going off all through this guy speaking. Finally, he said, unless you're a doctor or a drug dealer, would you turn your phones off? <laughs> pastors are the worst. And so we were, it was a morning session. We were getting ready to break for lunch. We're getting ready to break for lunch. And how many of you know pastors love to eat? I mean, they love to eat. And so we were getting ready to break for lunch, so our mind is churning on lunch. And so we were going to have just a little quick prayer time. Peter Lord was the speaker. And a guy walked, one of the pastors got up, and he walked up to the podium, said something to uh, Peter Lord, and he wanted to share a word. And so this pastor gets up, puts his hands down on the podium, And he says, and he came from behind his his dark curtain and he exposed what was going on in his life. That doesn't happen very often. But he goes up and he says that the pastor is in front of a room full of pastors and spouses and, and, and staff. He says, God, just... I just want to just tell you that the only reason I really came to this conference was I wanted to watch triple X movies in my motel. I mean, you could hear a pin drop in there. I mean, of all the preaching that was done that morning, all the great worship, when that guy got up and came out from behind the curtain and shared what he was struggling with, I mean, God came down in a powerful way. And Peter Lord got up and he said, I feel like, God, if you're having a problem with pornography, I just want you, we're going to meet right in this room right around the corner. 
Now, I'm thinking to myself, there is no pastor going to stand up and walk over there. And about 100 guys got up, walked that way. I looked at the, the altar was just full of, 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 of pastors on their face before God. Now, many of them weren't struggling with pornography, but what happened when this guy came out and just got real for just a moment, all of a sudden everybody else realized, you know what, I'm struggling with something too. I believe worship should be transparent. Now, I'm not saying everybody should get up and, and, and air their laundry. I, I, for the most part, I would say you shouldn't do that. But every once in a while, God will put it on somebody just to get transparent. So I just want to say that God knows what is going on in your life and in your mind. And yet he still loves you. I just want to take a minute, and maybe you're here today, and God just put his finger on something in your life that you're struggling with, that you just want prayer. like to have your head up, eyes open. If you're here today and you know God has put his finger on something in your life that you just need just by standing up. I'm not asking you to say anything. I'm not asking you to come down. But just by standing up, you're just saying to God, God, I just I want to be transparent and I just want to be real with you. And I, I just need prayer. If you're here today and that's you, I just want you to stand right where you are. Don't come forward. Just take a minute. Now, your first thought is, what are people going to think? That's the first thought. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter what people think. Anybody else, you know that today God has put his finger on your life. You just need a fresh touch from God. All right, I want you to look around. I want us to pray for our brothers and sisters who are standing. And can I just say this? If you're not standing, you will be by tonight. Because there's not a day goes by that we don't have a weight on our shoulders. Not a day. But pride will keep us from enjoying God more than any other single thing, I believe. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, as we, as we join hands and hearts, we just want to worship in transparency. Father, I pray that we would never look down our nose at a brother or sister who has fallen, but give us the grace to reach out in love and just love on them as you love on us. Fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name.